0: You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series.
1: Assault Studios production. Passion and determination are so often the keys to having a successful career in the music industry. Whether you're in the business of songwriting, singing, or producing, it's crucial to have a genuine love for music in order to develop as an artist or a music producer. It's this passion and dedication for the craft that made Greg O'Shea pursue a career in this industry. At a young age, Greg discovered his love of visual arts and music and he knew it would be his career path. In this episode, Greg explains what drew him into the world of art and music and what inspired him to pursue music production as a career. Greg O'Shea, thank you very much for having a chat with me. Cast your mind back to the 1980s in Ringwood, where you went to high school. What was it like?
0: Pretty rock and roll, rough and tumble. Lots of challenges on your way to and from school with, you know, a couple of local gangs in the area that always made navigating some of the... uh... The paths to school are a bit more challenging. I I learned pretty quickly to uh, befriend a a group of brothers who had uh, like an 18-year-old brother all the way down to about 10 and they'd use their young brother sometimes to pick a fight with a year 12 kid from our school and it wouldn't end up too good for him. So I learned pretty quick, get on with people as quick as you can and I sort of uh, made them allies and that made negotiating the railway station a bit
1: easier. <laughs> did that mean your high school years weren't enjoyable or did you enjoy the study?
0: The school I went to was very academic. It was very focused on maths and English as as a, you know, mainstay in the sciences. That was, it sort of prided itself a bit on that. And they were really sport-centric. And I, I did well in sport, like I was in the cross-country team and played footy and cricket. So I'd, I did well in those areas, but I, um, being a creative kid, they didn't seem to cater as much to that. So yeah, you sort of you're looking for some of those outlets. I mean, give you the example: we didn't have a music program in the school, and just as I was leaving at the end of was it eighty nine or something, they were just starting to introduce that sort of stuff for kids. So, so those sorts of outlets weren't really there for us. It was more the academic side, you know. So, it, look, it was enjoyable, but I think probably because I was also a, a very creative-minded kid, you, you you don't connect with every person straight away. Like you kind of think a bit differently to other people. So, probably more to do with me than other people, maybe. But you know,
1: where did that love of creativity come from at such a young age?
0: I think it was just born in me. I think I like three or four. I was drawing pretty prolifically and, and I, my parents and my grandparents noticed a bit of a, a gift straight away. They thought that I was going to be a visual artist of some type and I guess Dad had had that. He was, you know, he was a violinist in a local, you know, orchestra when he was a kid and 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 a really strong visual artist himself just as a as a hobby. Like he, he was just really talented at that. So maybe that was in me or maybe I picked it up by looking, you know, being impressed by things. And he played a lot of music when I was really young, like three or four was hearing Lots of international world music stuff that was unusual, but it got my got my ears open, and I, I think I just always had a really big imagination, like I was always dreaming stuff up and then creative writing thats sort of that all kicked in really quick. so I, I think it was just in me and then it hasn't really stopped,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in those high school years, if those were subjects that weren't really taught where you were, did you have an avenue outside of school for them?
0: It's funny, I had a couple of mates that would rehearse their band at lunchtime in one of the, the classrooms and we we kind of realised that that was a bit of a get out of some of the boring stuff at school, you know, so that was probably a real first insight into being around a band in a room and, and they were particularly talented guys, like one of them, you know, he could play like Hendrix at about 16 or 17. So it's pretty impressive to be around. it. So I think those influences were starting to get me going when I picked a guitar myself. But, yeah, I think it was probably just listening to a lot of music at home. My stepfather had a, um, a reel-to-reel tape machine, which I had no idea what that was. It was like this sacred sort of equipment that you couldn't touch it. You weren't supposed to go near it. But I was always on the turntable playing things. And I think when I look back, I was... I was probably making 12-inch mixtapes out of a cassette, like I'd, you know, play a bit of a song, hit pause on the, the downbeat of the song. I didn't even probably know what I was really doing. It was just intuitively and then try and go to another part of the song and then edit, pause it and then hit it record again. So it would I was making my own little remixed edits on a cassette <laughs> really crudely. But...
1: Sounds um really enjoyable and really fun. But the reality is you're doing that outside of school. When it comes to school, you know, the expectation is that you'll be good at maths and you'll be good at English.
0: Were you? I would say I was a, about a C average student in some things that, that didn't pique my interest as much. I, I found the choices of English books and things that we had to read a little bit like, why, why do we need to do this? Whereas when it was art and art history, I was really into it. Like uh, we were studying the Renaissance period and and anything that related to the work we were going to do, that made sense to me.
1: And at what point were you looking and you're thinking, okay, well, I need to decide on a career path or at least have some ideas around it. Yet what I'm being taught at school is not really aligning with where I want to go. So when did you get to that point and what did you do to try and address it to, to make sure that you were going to get a result out of your education that you wanted?
0: As I was reaching year 10 and 11, I w- uh, the pathway to becoming a visual artist or graphic designer was becoming the clear. I mean, I'd, in my mind, I'd gone through every conceivable visual art, you know, occupation. I thought, oh, architect, cartoonist, all these things. So around year 10, 11, I was starting to research. You know, Swinburne at that point probably had the premier graphic design course. You took maybe 12 people out of 1,000. So I knew it was it was pretty esteemed thing to get in. But there was also Box Hill, Tape Ride, that's where I actually did apply. And I think I was just getting to that point, I thought, okay, I love music. I didn't necessarily think I was that talented as a musician, but I I wanted to be around music somehow. And I thought, well, maybe I could design album covers. And that sort of became a strong thought that started me thinking, well, who does that? And I thought, okay, well, they must be a photographer or some sort of artist for a record label. So I was getting aware of that without really knowing totally how it would work. But I knew that I'd probably need to be graphic designer or or, or some do a visual art course to be able to get that pathway.
1: In terms of that pathway, was there anyone you could rely on to get advice around it?
0: I had an incredible graphics teacher, Tony Benbow in year 11 and 12, and my art teacher, Helen Hart. They didn't seem like they should have been teachers, though. They seemed like they were um, professionals that were just hanging out at the school like Tony used to drive a, a red Jaguar to school like he, he was a hipster like you know and he let, he'd play music in the um, in the graphics room or he let us play music it was, it was sort of like we were working for a creative agency in the graphics room which was amazing because he, he made us um, step up as adults he'd, you'd have to go and sit down and have a brief with him about your work and kind of like you were talking to a boss so he he kind of put that into our head because I think he'd done that obviously and come from that world and and Helen was just a really great art teacher with a lot of energy and enthusiasm, so she was encouraging. So so those two people were pretty instrumental because I think they mentored to some degree, but they also showed you that it, there was a path and they had actually, you know, done something outside of school. But then it was just really about researching courses and, and finding out more about graphic design. I thought, OK, well, that's, that seems the path, you know. But then obviously things changed, so, yeah. <laughs>
1: So talk to me about that. So you've got in your mind you want to be a graphic designer but that's not where you went.
0: It was a simple circumstance. I mean, a classic creative kid, you know, I know it my whole career. I mean, you deal with creatives, they're sensitive people. They can take things to heart and I think I was a very sensitive kid and um, I went and did an interview, yeah, just an opening interview for, for Box Hill Tafe and it was a graphic design course, and that was a pretty esteemed course at that time too. It was There was not many placements, maybe 20. You show your folio to them, to the, a couple of prospective teachers, and they, they give you a bit of feedback, and one of them said, oh, I think would be worth your while doing a summer course to brush up some of your freehand skills. You know, you've got some really good stuff here, but you could do some with improving. And I just got really defensive about that, which when I look back was kind of silly. It was just an overreaction, but because I was a, a sensitive, young, creative kid, I... I thought that they were telling me that I wasn't good enough. And that wasn't the case. They were just saying, if you do a couple of these things, that might just top up a bit more of your skill set before you come into the course. And it was years later, one of my really good friends that was in year 12 graphics, she said, you know, you were one of their top picks. And they were were just saying to you, do a little bit more work and then you would have got in. And um, for some reason, I got got my back up about that and went, well, that's it, I'm not doing um, graphic design. Or I, I, I got a little bit um, thrown off by that, I guess, and it, it just, sort of, it made me question, OK, what, what am I going to do here? And then um, so I, I think I just took some time because I probably had my heart set on it so much about getting in and I thought, oh, I didn't get in, so that's it, which I would now tell anyone is like, you know, you don't give up on the first hurdle, <laughs> you keep going. But for some reason, I just took a regular job in a factory for the summer just working, just, you know, kind of doing some labouring stuff while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do and I, I didn't enjoy that after about three days I thought this isn't where I want to be. My best mate, Scott, said I've, I've signed up for an audio engineering course. And he'd been really interested in lighting in school, so we'd both worked on uh, a couple of the local musicals and stuff, doing you know the the spotlights and things like that. And I thought, okay, wh- what are you doing that? I thought you were more into lighting. And he said, oh, just this is really cool. You get to mix the sound for bands, and and I was still like, what is this? What does this word audio and engineering mean? What is this? I don't know what it is. And I said, well, sounds kind of cool. Maybe I can come and check out the orientation night with you and, and see, see what happens and next thing I know I've signed up to the course and looking at the console thinking oh, I've got no idea how any of this works and uh, but yeah very quickly realised I had a real skill, had really strong ears and all this science-based stuff that at school that didn't really pique my interests around electricity, current, all this sort of stuff that you the, the, the prime stuff you learn about in audio initially it made sense because it was related to something that I was interested in. And I think that might, for me, answer a bit what you asked before. Like, uh, if there was something that I was deeply interested in, I think I would have been more committed to that in, in school. So when I was interested in the graphics at school, yeah, I, I looked into that. When, when the audio engineering came along, I just, I was shocked as, as anyone. I thought I had, it, was, it was a bit like this um, undiscovered gift. I was like, oh, where's this come from?
1: So what's some advice for our listeners then about trying to identify what they do genuinely care about, what they do have passion for and what they want to spend their career doing when they're in those early stages?
0: I think from a couple of business courses I was involved in last year and it's just a thing you hear all the time, is it do something that you love? Is it a very well-worn phrase? But it's it's very true. But I think the thing that goes with it is, you know, if you look at what you do naturally every day, without anyone having to tell you what to do, there's probably a strong chance that's what you've got a leaning towards or a a natural inclination for. And, you know, so I'd played records on a turntable at four, I was playing a guitar at 13, I was writing poetry at 15, I was drawing. So I was always kind of gonna be in and around that area. That's probably what made sense. So I think that's probably the first clue, is it just like, you know, what is it you do naturally every day that you enjoy doing? If it's things that you don't enjoy that other people are asking you to do, chances are that probably won't work out for you in the long run because you'll you lose um, interest and in, in passion for it. And I think for this industry, you, you definitely have to be very
1: committed to
0: uh, working hard.
1: I'm keen to get a sense of what you and your best mate did while you were studying audio engineering. What's a normal day look like?
0: I think it was two or three nights of theory classes for the first months and you know you're learning literally about circuitry and how you know ohms and all these science terms how audio works the signal path all these things I had no idea about initially um, microphones how they work the, the types of polar patterns all this different stuff that's um, unique to that so it was, it was largely theory for the first couple of months and then you started using the studio. And that's when I realized, okay, this is a toy environment for me. Like this is just, this is a lot of fun. And you're allowed to go in there. There wasn't a limit on the amount of times you could go in during the daytime. So we'd study at night and during the daytime you could get access to the studio. And there was only one studio, it was just in Preston. It was as well before the um, proliferation of audio schools and, and colleges we have now. We would go into the studio and just muck around, learning how to use the tape machine that was in there then. It was analog tape and a small console. I worked out pretty quickly if I made bookings multiple times during the week. Most people were working jobs, so I was probably getting into the studio three or four times a week. Just, just, And I just was shadowing my instructor a lot. He recorded a band one weekend. I just watched him like a hawk, watched everything I, he did. And then I brought that same band in the following weekend did my best to mimic all the sounds he'd got and he came in a bit later in the afternoon and he said, what's going on? And I said, oh, I'm just working with the band. He goes, no, no, he goes, it's not that. He goes, how have you got those sounds? I said, oh, I just follow what you did. He goes, no one gets it that quick. I was so obsessed, I think, at that point with learning this job. It, it just seemed so fun. Yeah, so I just wanted to learn everything I could about it and I was just just watched people like a hawk and learn everything I could about everything they were doing.
1: And I guess that's a piece of advice for the listeners too is if you're given an opportunity, i.e. a free space, maximise it until you can't maximise it anymore and just it's just learn and follow from your leaders in that space, I, don't, I guess.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he was, you know, he'd he been, uh, Rod was his name. He was a, he had a great sense of humour and he made things light and fun. He, he, he seemed, you know, like this cool rock and roll guy to me and I just felt like, you know, this total newbie with everything, but I, um, I, I knew he had good, good ideas and good wisdom and he had a, he had a good manner the way he taught. He, he was never too bossy or too pushy, but if he saw you, as you just said, it, he saw if you, you showed some genuine interest, and I've always found that if you, if you show really that you've got a good attitude, that you're, you're there to learn and that you're not there to tell someone how good you are, they will just start showing you things. You know, and that's that's where the gold comes because you're getting, you know, you get someone that's got twenty or thirty years experience that's showing you little tricks and tips that you'll never get really out of YouTube clips and videos. Not like you will when you're in the room with the person. You know,
1: I imagine during the course, given you loved it so much, you just aced it the entire way through.
0: I surprised myself. I mean, I, I didn't. we were saying like, you know, it was sort of like it seemed like about a C average student in school, but yeah, I ended up the top of the class. And you know, I, I'd started my job at. Metropolis Audio, which I guess we may talk about, uh, where I got my job, and but I was still three quarters away way through the course, so I had an, about a three months left on the course, which surprised me as well. I, I didn't, never expected that to happen, but that was that sort of came out of me knocking on every door of every studio in Melbourne. I mean, not, when I say knocking, ringing them all up first, and and just looking for work experience during the course. So yeah, so that that really helped open things up.
1: In that process of calling up every uh, studio you could to try and find work, was that just a matter of going to the phone book back in the day, uh, looking up the, the title and punching in the numbers?
0: It's a thing called the Yellow Pages which doesn't exist I
1: think anymore. But are different for students now.
0: That's right, yeah. I, it, that was that was my first port of call and I lived in the address and suburbs obviously in Ringwood but we were living in Croydon and I'd heard of a studio called Gotham or something like that in North Ringwood or Warrenwood and I thought oh that could be cool I didn't know at the time that was John Farnham's studio I did end up working there later on but uh because I were connected with Metropolis but but yeah it was just going through the the telephone book I suspect I would have probably got a couple of industry directories probably like a you know maybe a beat magazine or something that would have had those I just went through just checking off every studio you know
1: is that a scary process to go through given, I mean, you've mentioned before you're a little bit sensitive, so you didn't want to have someone slam the phone in your ear.
0: Yeah, it's funny. For some reason, it, it didn't perturb me when it was that. I, maybe because I was so committed and focused on what I was doing. I mean, this will give you the insight. Metropolis Audio is considered the mecca of of recording studios, it, certainly in in Melbourne, if not maybe in Australia. And the the way Rod had talked about this place, it was like that's where the gods of rock and roll went to, you know. You know, you'd be lucky if you ever got to even see the building. you know? <laughs> and, and so he would sort of set this expectation up in me of like, that's where I need to go, that's the Abbey Road or whatever it is for me. And I didn't necessarily think I would get there straight away, but I just, I was committed to, I'm just going to ring everyone until I, I just wanted to get a foot in the door. I thought if I, if I can get into a smaller studio somewhere, maybe one day I'll get a chance to walk in the door of Metropolis. And little did I know that it would, it would be there. They were the one that took me on to do work experience a, a few months later. And that and that's where everything's have changed.
1: In terms of work experience, what were some of the tasks that you were doing?
0: The classic bottom of the, the rung, uh, washing coffee cups, um, making cups of coffee and tea. We were a tea drinking family at home. So we learned how to, you know, steep the kettle and all that. So I didn't realise that skill became really prominent because I could make a very good cup of tea. And so I kind of realised, right, you, you've got to make cups of tea, make coffees, make sure the coffee pot is always full um, and you have to get lunches. So you were, you were basically the runner. You were, you were just asked, go and do this, go do that.
1: So there wasn't too much in terms of working in any sort of sound capacity. It was just a, a gopher to go and do what everyone else wants
0: you had to prove your worth before you could get to be in the room because it was a you know really high end studio with major label artists and you know some pretty high profile people they're looking for the right attitude before they would filter through you know work experience people that way and then they always had that attitude I think of if you've got the right attitude they can teach you the skills there'd be other work experience kids coming in when I was there and then I'll go when do I get to go in the studio when do I get to sit in on a session and then I kind of worked out that was not the thing to do. That a it wasn't cool, and you looked pushy, and you looked like you you, you had an agenda. You know, you're there for the wrong reason. And um, I worked out: don't ask ever for that. Just show them by uh, the commitment in my work. You know, so coffee cups cleaning, I would polish. There was you know a whole wall of gold and platinum records, and you know I'd get out the 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 Windex and clean them. And I just I'd find I'd use my initiative. I think try and find jobs to do. So then when they'd find you, they go, what's he doing? He's rolling, oh, wow, okay, this kid's keen, you know.
1: How long did it take until you actually got into the studio?
0: It wasn't long, but it it was sort of by accident. It was more live, to be honest. I mean, I I would walk in the studio to be, you know, you'd give them the meals and all that sort of thing. But sitting in on sessions, that came probably about a year and a half later, really like genuinely being an assistant engineer on sessions. But work experience for about, let me think, Uh, one week then they asked me to come back and after about six weeks of them saying can you come back next week and I started thinking something's going on here what's they they keep asking me to come back and the kid that was uh in the job the full-time job of being the coffee guy had actually come from my college for some reason he wanted to get out of the job so so my first real studio experience was actually standing on stage at the Maya Music Bowl with hunters and collectors and so they'd asked me to come in to do, you know, some of the, the regular studio work and they said, hey, we're doing this really big concert series at the My Music Bowl. We don't normally take work experience kids, but we want you to come along. So I was basically helping the engineering team do the live broadcast recording. So my kind of my first studio experience was actually a live concert recording.
1: Well, Greg, you've had an amazing career and it's still continuing, so we're going to talk to you about that in our next episode. <music> Greg O'Shea is proof that opportunities can come from anywhere and he got his through his ability to make a great cup of tea and coffee and being talented, of course. Greg shows us that working hard and getting the job done well naturally lead to better opportunities.
0: You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series,
1: Assault Studios production.